You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to episode 20 of Behind the Scene at NTSB. Today, Leah and I are excited to be joined by our newest appointed board member, member Jennifer Homendy. Welcome. Thank you. And we also would like to also re-welcome or welcome back Eric Strickland. I He's, never really leave. I'm always here. <laughs> I know, but it's nice to have you here again on the opposite side of the table. It's nice it's to have you here. Happy to be here. And thank you for joining us, Member Hammondy. Um, Your detailed bio, we're just going to jump right in. Your detailed bio is available online on ntsb.gov. And um, I think that your journey to NTSB is very interesting. Um, I'm going to read my notes because it's a long title that you had prior (laughs) to board member. Um, You were uh, for a decade serving as the Democratic Staff Director of the Subcommittee on Railroads, Pipelines, and Hazardous Materials for the United States House of Representatives, which is under the Committee of Transportation of Infrastructure. How did you get there? So I was actually there for 14 years. 14 years. And um, I, at the time, I had uh, worked as a lobbyist for the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and worked on transportation and international trade. And in working on transportation, I had a working relationship with staff on the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. And I did uh, truck safety and hazardous materials safety and worked on different legislation on behalf of Teamster working families. And um, the position for the Democratic staff director, mm-hmm. at the time it was the subcommittee on railroads, the uh, jurisdiction of the subcommittee expanded and uh, I think it was 2007. And um, it, the the person who had my position got nominated to the Surface Transportation Board. And okay. so when I knew he was going through the process on the Senate side, I campaigned for the job, essentially. And um, when he was confirmed, I was offered the position and started on June 21st, 2004. Okay. And prior to that, as a, prior to your lobbying career, did you have... Um a prior experience in transportation, railroads? So before the Teamsters, so the Teamsters had a rail division mm-hmm. because they also represent the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and the maintenance away workers. And they had an aviation division that I worked with. And so before the Teamsters, I worked for the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO where I dealt okay. with rail and um, trucking and hazardous material safety Uh, And before that, I worked for the American Iron and Steel Institute, uh, dealing mostly some transportation, a lot of uh, building uh, bridges and steel buildings and steel plants. And um, before that, I worked for the National uh, Federation of Independent Business, and I worked for a senator and a couple members before that. Okay, so you had kind of... uh crossover or a nice merge between politics and transportation, it sounds like. And mm-hmm. then they just kind of continued on a, the same path or kind of merged together completely. Yep. Wow. And in your bio, it says that you graduated from the um, 
Penn, Penn State. State. I was going to say University of Pennsylvania. That's wrong. Um, Penn State. Penn what State. Um, did you go in? Um, did you go in looking for a degree in political science? What was your degree? So I couldn't decide, actually. <laughs> and so I went back and forth between public policy and journalism because I really like to write. Mm-hmm. And so and then I also liked environmental science. So I ended up minoring in environmental science. And because I couldn't figure out which way I wanted to go on my major, I ended up doing humanities and just picking all the classes I liked. <laughs> I have a very similar experience I need to share because I graduated with an environmental studies degree. Fantastic. But also didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. But I knew I wanted to work with people. And so I got, um, you know, my minor not only in Spanish, but then also in <clears throat> just humanities stuff and yeah. sociology. So and here we are. Well, my father worked on the hills, so he always encu- he kept encouraging me to take the classes I liked. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. That's great. Nice. So we also saw, we're referring to your bio a lot, but we saw that you are a national, you hold a, certi- a certificate, a qualification from the National Board on Fire Service professional qualifications on core hazmat operations and mission. <laughs> kind of long. So it is long. <laughs> we noticed that's a theme, very long titles for you. So well, NTSB board member is probably great now, right? It's very short now. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point in your journey did that um so I'm not a firefighter, <laughs> just to be clear. Unlike Eric. That's Eric's background. <laughs> uh so I do want to be clear about that. But How I came about it, so the first time I was certified was, I think, in 98 or 99. And it was because I worked for labor, and uh, I did a lot for the firefighters. And I wanted to see the training that uh, rank and file got normally, and then what they would get under the the course that the International Association of Firefighters offered, which was that one. So that was my first first time, and then I got a second one, and then I kept taking them because on the transportation committee, I had jurisdiction over hazardous materials transportation, and the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration provides funding for training emergency responders in hazmat uh, safety. And so I kept taking the courses to get certified, um, I think the last one was 2014, so I'm probably due. Um, just so I could understand what was what people were learning. I mean, it was the best way for me to advocate for funding for the program, continuing the program, and expanding the program if I knew uh, what the education was. Okay. So, and going through it. Fantastic. Um, Especially when everybody kept trying to cut it because people didn't understand it. Once they understood it, it was it was better. That's how it usually goes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, while you were on the TNI committee, you worked on some NTSB recommendations, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Is there any recommendation that you worked on back then that you're particularly proud of that you'd like to share with us? So I, I went through all the major bills, and I, I I had counted 23 safety recommendations that I worked on that we implemented, wow. just in the bills that I worked on, not the the big major reauthorization bills, not the smaller bills. It, the number's probably bigger, but I didn't go through all those. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the pipeline recommendations on automatic shutoff valves, leak detection, some of those haven't been implemented yet. Mm-hmm. 
And excess flow valves was one that the NTSB recommended for 30 years that we were able to implement in 2006 and then expand in 2011. But I think probably the one I'm most proud of is PTC. And, you know, uh, the rail safety program had not been reauthorized since uh, FRA was created in 1998. So we were developing legislation in 2008 and uh, looking at a number of rail accidents. And um, there was a major rail accident in Graniteville, South Carolina, that Mm -hmm. the NTSB investigated that was PTC preventable. Mm -hmm. And... um, the family had come in to talk to ranking member, well, ranking member and then chairman Obistar at the time, who was my boss. And he had decided then that that was going to be a priority for us. So we, we put it in the House bill in uh, 2007, and then the Senate put it in their bill in 2008, and then we negotiated, and then Chatsworth happened, and we were able to move it to final passage. But I'm looking forward to it being implemented. Fantastic. So are we. And I would say the the story that Member Hominy has about using the recommendations and getting them forward is a is a pretty good NTSB story because, you know, people just think we do the reports and these recommendations are out there and then what happens with them? Where do they go? And so, you know, it's it's good to know that they're that they're used and they're actually implemented and people look at what what all the work is done and the detailed recommendations that come from the agency are are useful resources for uh, a variety of audiences. One a big one being Congress, but mm-hmm. not only not only the rec recipients, but also Congress look at to see how people are doing and you know chime in whenever they need to. But I think that's a it's a good story. Is that's how how she got to know who we really are by by looking at the the products that we put out there and recommendations, and that's what really kind of started you down the NTSB rabbit hole, if mm-hmm. I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's I know, and, and you had mentioned excess flow valves, which I have to say, up until about two years ago, I think it was actually April 2017, one of our rail inve- rail pipeline hazardous materials investigators actually wrote a blog um, about that and how that was kind of like something in his career that was pretty significant. And I didn't realize how much of an impact it kind of had on everyday lives and within mm. communities. Um that it was, there were some really kind of tragic um, explosions and, and things that happened in, in homes and, and families and stuff. And so um, that, that was, that's something that I, I had no clue what that was before, but um, yeah, appreciate had, just the significance of that improvement. Yeah, we had 24 safety recommendations just on excess flow valves before Congress uh, moved it. So, I mean, it was, it was out there for, they were out there for a long time, 30 sure. years, so... And much like PTC, we were talking about PTC, which I think the NTSB's recommendations date back four decades now. And we're still kind of waiting and hoping that I think uh, next month we Mm -hmm. uh, reach another uh, deadline for implementation Mm -hmm. of PTC. um, Which is on our most wanted list. It is on our most wanted list. So we're hoping. I know, I think earlier this week or maybe last week, there was an update on uh, even the... um, at-risk railroads. Yes, yeah. that have implemented mm-hmm. um, PTC so far. You just mentioned, or maybe it was Eric that just mentioned, um, <clears throat> your how you became a little bit more interested in the NTSB. And um, I would just like to ask you, what was that process for you in terms of going from, you know, where, where you were up on the hill to considering a potential um, board membership position? 
Well, it, um, I loved my job on the Hill. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, 14 years, I, I, it was, it was a, a, gr- a great time. There were a lot of opportunities and a lot of good pieces of legislation that we got through, but it was also time for me to decide, uh, did I want to stay mm-hmm. and go in the majority again? Because uh, I had started in the minority, went to majority, and then back again. Mm-hmm. Or did I want to move forward? And the only job I knew I would leave the Hill for is NTSB board member. I wasn't going to leave for any other job. Mm-hmm. And um, so the opportunity um, came up that there was going to be a vacancy, and um, I went after it. We're glad you did. So what was it about a, an NTSB board member position that really was just kind of, I guess, maybe a dream position or, or that just made it so yeah, hard I to mean, pass it, up? It was, it, for me, it was a dream position. It was something I wanted for a long time. I wasn't you know, quite there yet. I wasn't quite ready to leave the Hill. Um, but for, but for me, um, I had worked so closely with the NTSB during my time on the Hill Mm -hmm. that I had developed a a deep respect for the agency and for those that worked here. I worked a lot with the railroads, pipelines, and hazardous materials office here. And, um, both not just Rob Hall, but it started with Bob Chip- Chipkovich, sure. who was mm-hmm. here at the time. And with every piece of, piece of legislation, I went through the reports. I reached out to figure out which recommendations hadn't been issued yet or implemented yet and what we could do about it. So there was always a pretty close working relationship with what I was doing on the Hill and what the NTSB was doing. Um, and so for me, I mean, transportation safety was always where I focused on the Hill. So for me, it was a natural progression. And I think for um, your first and well launch as a board member here, a training happened to be a hazardous materials Pipelines, yeah. pipeline. <laughs> so what was it like kind of seeing it from right inside the NTSB? Was there anything that surprised you or, or seeing it from that side, not so much, you know, the end result of a report with recommendations? Um. Well, it was interesting because uh, and uh, on the transportation committee, I also did oversight in some of my areas and a little bit outside my areas. But I, I did investigate the Enbridge pipeline accident for, um, for the transportation committee Democrats. And so I had, I was able to see what the NTSB did on scene there. Mm -hmm. It was obviously very different because now I was on the inside. Sure. And so it was interesting to go to all the organizational meetings. And I think for me, it it really drove home how, how hardworking and dedicated the staff is at the NTSB. And I also had a, a great amount of respect for the, the inspectors that came out from FIMSA as well that participated in the investigation. Sure. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, and just the fact that your, your first launch happened to be pipeline. There's all the modes to choose from. <laughs> right. That, that, you know, it's unfortunate it was, that there was, was a pipeline, a- pipeline accident, but it was, it helps because there's, I think I mentioned it when I, when I talked to y'all, uh, 
a few weeks back or a month back at this point, you know, there's a transition, you know, being a board member is not just being a board member. It's, it's a whole new job as well. Like there's all that stuff that goes with it, all the things that you're having to, to learn and you're still a board member and you come in with being a subject matter expert in this case, member Hominy was, uh, you know, rails and pipelines, hazards, material. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you need to be getting up on your aviation. You need to be getting up on your highway, you know, Marine. And I have learned very quickly what a lazarette was and some other things. And so, you know, there's a lot of terminology and all that. So I think it was useful and helpful to have your first one be something where you at least understood some of the terminology and some of the issues so that you can, because the launch process is not uncomplicated. (laughs) And so there's a lot of moving wheels. There's a lot of pieces to it. There's a lot of people and, and there's, you know, and I'm just talking from a staff level, there's even from a, a board member level, there's another level of like pressure because, you, you know, all eyes are on you. So I, for, for that first launch, I think it was very nice to have it be a, a pipeline one for you to be able to learn all of those things from it. Um, so to be able to learn all the terminology and go from there. And so I think well, it for helps me, the building was, process. And what was nice is when Columbia Gas was talking about, you know, when they told us, oh, the maximum allowable operating pressure is, and I, and you I already knew what that was, didn't <laughs> so I didn't like, uh... have to figure it out. <laughs> so that was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So uh, as a board member now, I'm curious, do you have any particular goals um, for improving transportation safety while you are here? Well, I, I mean, I'm probably three months in, so it's it's a, li- a little early for big goals. Uh, right now, I'm just trying to get up to speed I'm mm-hmm. on some of the areas that I don't have a big background in. And I actually think that's fun. I look back on the days on the Transportation Committee. When I came on, I did a little bit of rail. I, I mean, I did some rail previously, not a lot. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of hazardous material safety before I went to the committee and I did nothing on pipe. I didn't know anything about pipelines. So for me, when I came on board, I had to learn it very quickly mm-hmm. and it turns out that was fun. And when I, when I left the sure. committee, I read all these articles, pipeline expert goes to <laughs> NTSB and I thought, Wow, 14 years ago, I didn't know anything about pipelines. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure 14 years from now, I'll say, oh, now I know a lot about aviation and marine safety. So, I mean, those are all it's areas. It's going to take me more than 14 years <laughs> I to figure out marine safety. I think somebody said recently that a 10 <laughs> so years, we know what a Lazarette is. Yeah, we know what a Lazarette is now, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, I mean, that's the fun part is mm-hmm. is learning things you haven't had the opportunity to learn before. But it's also, you know, you wish you did know, but... It comes with time. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll check back with you after your year mark. On I'll your, have very big goals for you <laughs> to report on. We'll bring you to be my anniversary. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll do this every year on my birthday. And we'll check in on your yes. goals. We should say right. happy birthday. At the Thank time you. of the taping, it is your birthday. birthday. Um, no. No, probably not. <laughs> Eric, that's why Eric's here. Yeah. It is royalty free now. But yeah, surprise, we're not gonna, James. We thought you would sing happy we're birthday not today. Test, oh, he, he actually is singing, but he got the, rid of the microphone, so you can't hear him in the background. <laughs> I is, don't sing me line about how old are you. Yeah. No. No. Um, so you have a daughter. Her name is Lexi. Yes. And she she's is 10, 10 going on 23. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a lot of makeup lately. Oh, wow. 
Well, only inside. It's a whole new, whole new yeah. world. Um, but in <laughs> about six years, she may be getting her driver's license potentially. And um, we're, I'm just curious what, you know, as a newly licensed driver, she'll be tackling some pretty complex um, situations on the road if she, if she chooses to get her driver's license. Some teens these days just decide it's not what they need. I'll be pleased to drive her around. (laughs) Be fine. Well, in the event that she does get her license, (laughs) um, technology and vehicles are changing rapidly. Um, They've changed a lot in the last decade. They'll probably change a lot in the coming decade. Um, What do you hope, um, what improvements do you hope are made, not only in technology, but also in road safety over the next 10 years to provide a safer roadway for your daughter? Well, I, d- I think my biggest concern is distraction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, partly that maybe just I drive on 95 every day and I see it now and uh, I, I see it when I'm driving o- along with her, people on the phones, doing makeup and mirrors. And, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, I'm concerned. And, you know, I also ride my bike and see it when I'm riding on the roadway. Mm-hmm. And so for... Because of that, I have a lot of concerns for her and how that will get addressed. I'm hoping some of the automated vehicle technologies will help with that, Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll see. Following on distractions and technology, we know that obviously some technology is going to have a negative impact on the transportation system, but there are lots of technologies that are going to have a positive impact on preventing accidents and crashes and some of the injuries and fatalities. looking again kind of into the future, what technologies do you think will will have, if if implemented, would have the biggest impact on really kind of there's this, you know, goal of everyone within the transportation community to reach zero um, accidents and crashes. What do you think will will have the most significant impact on on reaching that goal? That's a tough one because I think it really depends on the mode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for highways, I think you are looking at automated vehicle technologies, collision avoidance, automated braking. But I think when it comes to rail, I think you're going to see much lower um, human factors cause accidents with PTC implemented. Um, you know, I think there are other technologies in the rail industry that also will improve safety, whether it's, you know, track safety or, uh, you know, wheel safety or anything else. But I think, um, you know, I I think on pipelines, you know, leak detection, if you can't detect a leak, you can't stop a leak. And I think there have been a lot of pipeline accidents uh, or ruptures that have gone on. I think Enbridge was maybe 17 hours before they detected a leak. So I think there are a lot of different technologies. Depends on the mode. Sure. And we've seen and all NTSB recommendations. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice plug. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say we've seen, you know, certainly the benefits of technology in the aviation industry. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the 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 safest mode of Mm -hmm. of transportation outside of what the chairman likes to joke about pipelines. Um, (laughs) But um, you know, hopefully we can learn some of those, as you mentioned, human um, factors Mm -hmm. uh, issues that were kind of addressed, and and um, in many cases, I think solved maybe if you will yeah. you know with the technology introduced into the aviation environment um, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see that maybe in uh, the highway environment as well 
Mm-hmm. Putting my advocacy hat back on for just a minute. It's, you know, the technology, but I think also the human factors piece. And so some of that right. low hanging fruit is already out there, getting people not to drive while impaired, getting mm-hmm. people to not drive their vehicles while they're looking at their cell phones, you know, add technology into that. And I think you have the best potential, but some of it is really basic stuff that we just need people to start doing. The technology will hopefully be a good backstop. So, sure. you know, I'm I'm on the side of the fence where I don't think there's going to be an automated vehicle for fully autonomous vehicle for long time ish, oh, long long yeah. time. <laughs> and so, I want to see all the pieces put on there, mm-hmm. but only as a backstop to a well trained and supportive driver who is doing what they need to do. Since that's you know, whatever, 96% of the fatalities in transportation or 98% of the fatalities are are on the highways. Mm -hmm. So getting the technology and then getting the the drivers, you know, educated about it. But if they don't, you know, hopefully when they start, when they're 16, like when, you know, Lexi goes to learn how to drive, she'll learn how to do that. But even those that wait, you know, when you're 22, some, some people wait now until their mid twenties till after they're out of university to get a license, you know, learn about that a little bit. Sure. And I think that's an important kind of point that you made, Eric, of looking at the highway environment, the idea of, um, you know, drivers still needing to be attentive, even though there is this technology. And we've kind of learned that lesson in some of the aviation investigations that we've done, where kind of that idea of over-reliance on technology or the, the need that even though there is so much technology and there is this safe flying environment, that, you know, there's still pilots in, in all of the planes. And so um, I think that's kind of one of those important things to remember too about um, technology and highway vehicles is that we're still quite a bit away from having a fully autonomous vehicle, but you know everything that's designed now is meant to assist a driver, not take the place of a driver yet, so. Mm-hmm. Thank you, I'll take my safety hat, to see hat off, because <laughs> oh, it's not my interview. I'll no, in always keep that hat on, <laughs> at least keep it in your back pocket, <laughs> keep it handy. <laughs> um, so you are a marathoner or a triathlete all of the above. (laughs) And you mentioned bicycling and traffic. Um, With your busy job and with it being wintertime, I'm I'm imagining that you probably do some bicycling or running outdoors when it's dark. So uh, during, I am, I'm not a fan of the winter. (laughs) I can't breathe. Um, No. It hurts uh, to breathe in the winter. I don't like to be in a gym. Uh, I I will go to the gym if I have to, but I don't like to be indoors. I like to be outside, Mm -hmm. especially because we work indoors all week. I like to be out. Um, So I try to do some biking, a little bit of biking in the winter on my trainer. I won't bike outdoors, even though I know there are people who do. Mm -hmm. Running, I will actually run in the snow or the rain before I will run on a treadmill. I call it the treadmill. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Usually during winter time, I I spend that time uh, weightlifting uh, for the next season. Okay. So, but when you are out on the road, um, you probably do observe quite a bit of um, a lot, a lot of behaviors that you don't consider safe. And as a vulnerable road user, which we just recently issued our first vulnerable, well our first in a long time vulnerable road user report on pedestrian safety. I imagine that, you know, you are um, hyper aware, not only in terms of your own personal safety, but now watching, you know, at the other behaviors of people operating their vehicles on the road. And you may have an internal monologue going on in terms of ways other people could be safe. (laughs) I do. Um, 
So, and it's funny because, I, you know, when I go out on the road, I, I think I, I glow a little bit because <laughs> yeah. it's either really bright pink or really bright yellow because I, I am concerned about people mm-hmm. seeing me and uh, maybe not with running, but definitely with biking. And I do have technology on my bike that senses, you know, when a car is coming up behind me, oh, but wow. there's only certain things you can do if they mm-hmm. move into your space. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I am pretty choosy on where I bike, but there are circumstances where there there have been some scary moments. Mm. So, wow. it's a concern. Yeah. It limits where you can, I mean, for me, it limits where I, where I ride. Sure. So, kind of following along on the personal discussions, I was looking back to see how many... Um, women have been appointed to board positions here. And so you are um, Team 44. I know. Uh, hashtag team, hashtag 40, team, 44. team 44. You are the 44th appointed board member, but you're actually only one of 10 women who've been appointed mm. to positions. So I was just wondering if you have any advice for young women who might be considering, um, you know, a leadership role or aspire to kind of hold a position like an NTSB board member or a leadership role, um, you know, on the Hill? Uh, you know, I think my, I think my advice would be the same for anybody, whether you're a man or a woman, which is just to work really hard and stay focused on your goals. I think, you know, in my job on the Hill and really in all my previous jobs, I feel like I had a good reputation. I worked really hard and, uh, I stayed really focused on what the members I worked for on the Hill, what they needed, but also what the right policy was. And, you know, you just develop a reputation for working hard and mm-hmm. um, getting things done. So I, I think my advice would be the same for anyone, if that's your goal, mm-hmm. just to stay focused. Sure. So I'm going to ask my favorite question. Um, I've asked it of Eric, I think I've asked it maybe of another person, but I'm always curious because of my experience. Um, did transportation choose you or did you choose transportation? <laughs> so <laughs> transportation actually chose me. Right. I was born into a transportation family. <laughs> so my father uh, worked in uh, its legislative council's office in the uh, uh, governor of Connecticut mm-hmm. when I was very young. And then we moved to D.C. when I was five, and he worked for the Congressional Budget Office. And then he became counsel for the Budget Committee and was part of creating budget reconciliation. And then he became chief counsel for the Democrats for the Transportation and Infrastructure oh, Committee. Okay. And so he was on, he was counsel for budget for eight years, and then he was chief counsel for transportation for 17. And he retired in 1998. Mm-hmm. So when I, in growing up, mm-hmm. most kids probably, I don't know what other kids were learning, <laughs> but I was learning how to, you know, do congressional budgeting and how to reconcile (laughs) budgets between the House and Senate. And I had whole projects in high school on how to do that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Debating. And, um, you know, I would I know that when I when I graduated from college and and moved home, I would 
uh, carpool into DC with my father and he was negotiating. I don't who knows at the time it was probably iced tea, oh, wow. which was way back <laughs> yeah. when. And he um, would explain to me all the way in and all the way home <laughs> what the highway trust fund was and how they wanted money for transit and how that was going to happen and what they were negotiating. And I, I don't remember any of it. So it made sense then that you were <laughs> part of safety. I Lou was after, uh, enamored by <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. And so, and even even when you know when I started work and I had done um, internships on the hill, but even early in my career when we were carpooling after work, he'd he'd be late negotiating, and I would go up to the hill and answer the phones of the transportation committee. Oh, wow. You know. <laughs> And so I was always around, mm-hmm. you know, that environment my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it was that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I was very lucky and he was very good. He was very good at mentoring people, including me. And he, you know, he said, you should try interning for a member of Congress. You should try interning for a committee. You should intern for a senator, not mm-hmm. just a House member. You should intern for a Republican, not just a Democrat, mm. just to get a flavor t- so I could understand what I wanted to do later in life. And then so when I by the time I went to college, he I thought, oh, I have to major in you know, history or government, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of government and then go to law school because he was a lawyer. And he said, no, you don't have to do that. You know, do what you like to do and you you can work on the Hill. And for me, I think the thing which is what helped me in college was my writing. Mm-hmm. And th- because I focused on that, that is the one thing that is very hard to teach on the Hill. I mean, you have to be a good writer. And so... I think that's what helped me. But I was always around it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, throughout, because I started in lobbying, I always wanted to be on the Hill. And so when the opportunity came up, I just went for it. Just like when the opportunity came up for the NTSB, mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So yeah, never say no to an opportunity. It to me. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, we are getting close to the end of our podcast. Member Hamandi, would do you have anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, I would just say uh, being here at the NTSB, I, I just have a great amount of respect for everybody who works here. They're hardworking, dedicated, and it, it's just so much more evident now that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like that before, and it's just deeper now that I'm here. So I'm very excited, very excited to get to know everyone and and get to work. We're happy to have you on board. Stephanie, do you have any final thoughts? Just that we look forward to continuing our work with you. We've enjoyed um, the opportunities to interact with you and work with you in the short time that you've been here and look mm-hmm. for, for opportunities in the future. And James, I think that since Leah and I started doing this, we keep forgetting to thank you for, for your work <laughs> and for uh, making us sound good uh, on the podcast. So thank you. Thank for, you, James. For that. And thank you, Eric, for coming back and uh, joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Can't get rid of me. Happy to be here. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today, and um, we will talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsb.gov. 
thank you and bye. Bye.